Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Teach Golf. My name's Duncan Walgra. I'm your host, and today it gives me great pleasure in talking with Alan Fletcher. Alan, how are you, sir? I'm good, Duncan. How are you? Very well, very well. You've been out for a run yet today? Uh, not today, no, no. Uh, cold's holding me back at the minute, so... Uh, I was going to say, um, you sound a little bunged up, is it? A uh... bit of hay fever combined with uh, two small children, I think it is. There we go. So, how are things apart from that? All good? Yeah, very good, mate. Thank you. Yeah, um, obviously, middle of the season now, so it's uh, things are absolutely flying along, which is great. Good stuff. So, Alan, um, tell me and the uh, listeners, tell me a bit about you uh, growing up, how you got into the game, um, and then we'll we'll go on from there. Yeah. So, so I um, I started when I was ten years old. Um, my dad. Um, not too dissimilar to too many other podcasts by the sounds of it. Uh, my dad uh, got me into the game. Um, would always go and watch dad play football on a Saturday. Um, I'd always play football myself on a Sunday. Um, got to 10, dad bought, a, I remember him coming home with a set of clubs he bought off the market. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a kiddie set. And uh, we used to just go to the driving local driving range, local par three. And then when dad packed in football, um, he's mid thirties. I was about eleven or twelve. Joined at the local golf club. Um, they had a deal on at the time for juniors. So dad said, "Well, if you if you don't like it, it's not a big loss. So at least come and have a go. I'm going to start playing again." And from there, really got hooked. So right. um, I was twelve years old. Um, man, luckily joined with uh, dad. Joined with a friend of his and I. Luckily, he had a, a nephew, and and we kind of hit it off and play, played every Saturday, every summer holidays. Um, Dad would drop us off. I know mum or dad would drop me off in the morning at 7.30 on the way to work and pick me up at 7 o'clock at night in the summer holidays. It was, it was golf, golf, golf. Um, still playing football at the time. Yeah. Um, didn't really have any coaching, any, um, any sort of instruction at all um, in those younger years. Just played a lot. Yeah. Uh, mucked around a lot. Um, got pretty good at it. Um, was off plus one at the age of 15. Okay. Um, yeah, and then and got to 16 and went, you know what, I want to play. I can't play football and golf together. Things were clashing when you wanted to play bigger tournaments. It'd be on the Sunday when football matches were and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so stopped playing football and then just became purely into the golf. It's interesting how, um, I mean, I think it's, I think this is my 10th or 11th podcast and I think eight or nine out of the 11, it was, it was a parent that got them involved. I think it's actually all dad so far. Um, similar ages for the golf coaches, apart from a couple who were um, sons of golf professionals. Yeah. Um, but the, the very similar, there's very similar traits running through is that, and also that, you know, we just went crazy during the summer holidays. We were there 10, 12 hours a day, playing about 100 holes a day and just learning by playing and just having fun with, you know, with a couple of mates or, you know, as it was for me, a couple of mates at the start, but then it was on on, on my own and just going around Strawberry Hill Golf Club until I was dizzy and chipping and putting everywhere and, and that kind of thing. So the other sports kind of faded faded away. And yours was at, what, 16, did you say? 16, I decided golf was the sport I was going to play. Yeah. Um, I kind of was taking golf a bit more, sort of the, my main sport, if you like, from probably 14. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 16, I sort of couldn't do both football and 
and golf and and yeah, golf golf was the winner, I guess. And did you play county level, or what, what was the progression for you? Because plus one was, you know, it's a pretty punchy handicap. Um, yeah, I mean, I was. I was can I say back in the day? Oh, yeah, back. Yeah, seventeen years ago, worryingly. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, no, I played county golf. Um, I was in. Uh, I was in Cambridgeshire at the time uh, mm-hmm. at a little golf course called Abbotsley. Um, really nice golf course. Yeah. Um, we weren't see. It was. I was even though I was off plus one. I wasn't seen to be maybe the the right face at the right golf club, shall we say? Yeah. Um, so I couldn't get in the Cambridgeshire County setup. Um, decided to move to John O'Gorman, which is actually closer to my house. Yeah. Um, and got straight in the Bedfordshire setup. Um, Ended up being county captain and, and doing all that sort of stuff, which was great. Um, and just played a lot of a lot of competitive golf. Um, got to 18, 19, decided that's what I want to do from my, with my life. I want to be a tour player. I want to yep. go on tour and turn pro straight away. Played out on Euro Pro Tour um, for three years. Uh-huh. Um, and I can honestly say at the end of that three years, absolutely hated it. Um, what playing or competitive playing or golf? No, just the sheer loneliness of it. Um, yeah. The sheer um, being away. Um, struggled personally, massively struggled with the failure of it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, not having the support. Um, obviously, my parents were fantastic, and um, the girlfriend at the time was fantastic. Was now my wife. But be careful there. Um, <laughs> um, Make it clear. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they were fantastic and supportive and stuff, but you know, when you're out on the road and you're playing tournament to tournament and you're not getting the results you want, it's a really lonely place. Um, yeah. and, and whatever they say, it doesn't really make a blind bit of difference. So at 21 did start PGA. Okay. Um, uh, qualified obviously three years later. Um, and that was really the start of my coaching journey. Okay. Um, yeah, at that point, I guess. So where did you do your apprenticeship, as it were? Where did you do your uh, yes. PGA qualification? Yeah, so I was starting. I have a very, very strange and probably abnormal way that I did it. Um, yeah. I started at 16 at the local American Golf. Um, okay. Not too dissimilar to many of guys I know. Um, local driving range. Was lucky enough to have four golf pros there um, that were really, really helpful. Um, they were not massively all into their coaching. One was really big into retail. Um, and then we had one guy join that was was into the coaching. Um, yep. So took me under his wing a little bit. Um, after two years, I actually then got, I don't know if headhunt is the right word, but I got asked if I wanted a position at your place now, at yep. Golf. Um, they were setting up four superstores at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was brought in as a team of four to go around to the three that they had in South London and one in um, one in Glasgow. Uh, yeah. to set up the retail, um, to train the staff in custom fit and to set up the retail and, and, and do that. So my PGA was kind of a blend of all of a sudden at 24 being a manager of nearly a two, two million pound golf store um, yeah. with people like Ian Clark as guys that w- were the guys that I would talk to yeah. um, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so that was really, I qualified while being at, at World of Golf, yeah, um, I was traveling two hours to work every day. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so where were you? Were you living near John O'Gorn at the time? Yeah, near Biggleswade. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, so I was commuting around ninety minutes to two hours a day. Yeah, um, 
And after two years of, it was fun to start with. After two yeah. years of that travel, I got to the point where I was doing a really good, we were doing a really good job in the retail. We transformed it. We just about got it where we wanted it. And I just couldn't hack the travel. Um, yeah. So for me, it was right. I, w- I want to get back into my coaching. This isn't why I turned pro. This isn't why I started the PGA. I wanted to be a coach. Um, was doing no real coaching at that point. Okay. Um, had done a bit of American golf as a trainee, but was doing not a lot. Really into it, just wasn't doing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then managed to get a um, academy role, if you like. I took over a driving range. Um, in, in Royston, which isn't too far from me, about yeah. 20 minutes away. Pay and play golf course, uh, nine hole driving range, 30 pay driving range. Um, but I was the only golf pro there. Um, so it was a case of building up the business yeah. um, from, from scratch, um, trying to make it something that, that wasn't there before. We ended yeah. up, I left there ooh, uh, three years later. Okay. Um, so this was now 2013. Uh, left three years later, having had three golf pros work with me, um, building up quite a considerable junior section and coaching and realizing that this is what I want to do. Um, mm-hmm. And it's time to sort of up the ladder. Was getting was getting uh, charged an awful lot of rent at that point. Right, right. yeah. Um, and was like, well, hang on a minute, I'm working really, really hard here and, and paying a lot of rent out and you know and on top of normal business practices printing and advertising marketing and all the rest of it as long as your own education so yes it was becoming quite difficult so local golf course to me uh, well local golf course to royston in in where i am now which is girton in cambridge just west of cambridge mm-hmm. uh, position came, came available um, at the time it was a sleepy 18 hole private members club okay um was eared away from it by a number of colleagues in the area. Um, nobody has lessons there, Alan. No one has buys anything from the shop there, Alan. <laughs> uh, there's no driving. And I, and I remember, I can still to this day remember my first day, 3rd of Feb, 2013. Um, yeah. Uh, and I walked into the shop. I hadn't stepped foot in the shop. So I've, I've now taken on the shop. Yeah. I'm now, I'm, I'm now starting a business, a, a real, what I'd call a real world business proper, you know, I'm going, I'm going, I've got different assets to this business. And I remember walking in the shop and the, the old pro had obviously left with a bit of a temper and ripped everything off the wall. There were holes in the wall. There was everything. Yeah, it was a mess. And I was like, oh, wow. And then as I've turned around, it's snowing outside. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure this was the best idea you've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we transformed the shop. Um uh, we, I, I then put in a driving range. So we've got a massive, lovely, massive practice field that was, uh, as most private members clubs were, um, maybe some still are, uh, was like a big field that had four strips of fairway where you'd hit your balls and go pick them up. Brilliant, yeah. But it's 350 yards long and probably 250 yards wide, but you could only oh. really fit four people on it. Yeah. Um, so we put in a driving range, grass range, covered bays, um, which is fantastic for coaching. We've got a pitching area. Um, and then one of the things that I made it as a prerequisite for coming was I need a studio. Um, mm. So the club in 2014, in tw- back end of 2013, I, we weren't in a position to build the studio. Things hadn't been moved and we hadn't got the builders in and, and logistics and stuff. Um, so I took over the committee room for a winter. Um, okay. Put my 
cameras in there and and, and put flight scope in there. And then uh, beginning of 2014, we built a, a, a purpose-built studio outside. Um, and then the, the club did that for me. And then I kicked it out with whatever I wanted to get out with and, and still continue to add and build and put things in it. So that's where I am at, at this point, I guess. Fabulous. So what happens... So at the facility, so is how far away from the shop or the clubhouse is the driving range? Uh, it's about... The driving range from the shop is about 50 yards. Oh. Yeah, yeah, about 50 Good. yards. Um, and my studio is about three metres from the clubhouse. <laughs> so oh. so it's, oh. it's the, the only downside is the studio is the other side of the building to the pro shop. But, you know, okay. a few steps on the old uh, Garmin doesn't help, is it? So. Oh, there we go. <laughs> so what happens in a lesson with you? How do people... Um... How do people connect with you to get a lesson first and foremost? And then kind of what happens? Is there any interaction before a lesson? And kind of run run me through and run the listeners through what happens. Yes. Uh, so first five minutes type thing. Yeah. So we we um, we run very, very strictly as a team. Um, I, I don't have individuals at my, uh, my facility. We are a team of three pros plus two girls that work for us. Um, mm-hmm. So everything's done together um from a booking perspective it really is down to what the the client or the player needs and wants and the best suited coach and or if they're not fussed about that um the time that best suits them so there's a real element of customer service that goes into putting the matching the player with the right coach to start with Uh, does that mean that does that mean that different the the three coaches there specialize in different areas or is it how, how did, how yeah, so work? yeah, so my my especially especially so I don't know, I like that word, but my kind of bag, if you like, is yeah. I, I'm much more into um, elite players, um, junior development, um, lower handicap golfers. Um, okay. That's kind of where I sit most of the time. Um, yeah. Dean, one of my other lads, he he focuses very much on the junior development side. Does a lot with ladies. Um, okay. And does most of my members, most of the members of the yeah. golf club. Okay. Um, and then Ollie does a little bit of the beginner stuff, and he Ollie doesn't. Ollie's not really into his coaching. Um, okay. But hugely into club fitting. So. Okay. Um, there's a few members that just want Ollie because they like him and they get on with him. That's that's fantastic, and he'll coach them. But he's mm. big into his club fitting and his custom fitting. So, the way it tends to work, if any of our players need equipment. Yeah. Um, they won't have a fitting with me or Dean. They will set up a separate session with Ollie and we will either sit in and advise Ollie what we see as a coaching. You know, we want to see this player hit the ball a bit higher. We need to reduce this. This is what we're seeing in the lesson and leave him yeah. to fit. Um, and vice versa, he won't coach better players. He will send them and, and put them with Dean and, and myself. Um, okay. so it's a real nice um, environment to work in. So if you were to phone up and, and look for a lesson with me, it would be, a case of either um, we we've, we have a number of different ways you can do that. Um, you can obviously email, you can um, phone us, obviously. Um, you can book yourself on our website. Yeah. And also you can go through our live chat on the website as well. So we have a live okay. chat system where you can go on if you want to talk it through with someone. Um, generally, the live chat will always come through to one of the members of staff anyway. So it's not you're not talking yeah. to a random person and we'll, we'll deal with that off the website. Um, so, okay. so once you've got your session... And the guys go through some questions that will sort of qualify whether they're who's best to go with. Um, 
whether they've been recommended to someone or so on and so forth. Um, mm -hmm. And then what we'll tend to do is either myself, if it's my coaching or Dean's, what we'll tend to do is have a conversation via email. Um, if we can't get hold of them on the phone, we'll always try phone first because it's always much nicer. Um, yes. Or if we can't and people are busy at work and whatnot, we try and have a conversation through um, email. Um, what I'll tend to try and do for me personally, I will then add them through email to coach now. Um, yes. And if they have time before their lesson, it obviously depends when they book. I'll ask them to video um, a swing or two swings before the lesson, before I meet them for the first time. Um, <laughs> and put it on yeah. to coach now. Um, yeah. Give them the idea of the angles that I want and, and so on and so forth if they've never done it before. And so on. Um, just for no real um, need other than that, I like to just kind of get in my head a picture in my mind what what I'm going to be seeing, who I'm going to be seeing. Yeah. I've never met the guy before. I just like to get a visual of who I'm shaking hands with when I, uh, when I meet the guy for the girl or girl for the first time. Yeah, um, absolutely. If it's a young junior, um, generally we'll have an interview process with the parent. Okay. Um, and understand the roles that they see coach and parent, how the coach and parent relationship works. Yeah. Um, massively important for me that I spend a lot of my time with my elite juniors coaching the parents. Yes. Um, dad's phoning me up on the, you know, I've, I, Wednesday afternoons and Thursday afternoons, a lot of the time I'm on the phone for half an hour with dads, just, they don't know I, or mums, or, or they don't know how to handle maybe a situation that they've come across and they just want to talk it out with me, um, yeah. which is great. Um, but we have that down at the get go. Um, yeah. I don't, we don't add that in. It's a, it's a very clear, clearly defined relationship that starts. Um, and it gives me a level of, authority within a lesson if mum and dad are sitting there to kind of say look hey you, you're across your boundary now uh, yeah. you're in the coaching world um, if you want to have that conversation with me let's do it outside and away from the player um, okay so yeah that's kind of so the, ro the roles are outlined before with 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 junior sessions the roles are outlined before the the coaching um actually begins yeah yeah 100 percent, and and that probably does evolve the longer I've known students. Obviously, over a five-year yeah. period, you're, you're going through some pretty big milestones with juniors in a five-year period. So um, yeah. that ebbs and flows. Um, but it's just like a normal relationship you have with everyone, I guess. Um, yeah. uh, but from the get-go, there is a it's kind of outline, yeah. Excellent. So what types of lessons do you actually give at the, at the club? So I presume because you've got the driving range, that's full swing. You mentioned a pitching area. Yeah. Uh, I gather you then... As, as a non-member, would I be able to have a playing lesson with you on the golf course? 100%, yeah. Okay, putting, indoor, outdoor, both? Both. What's the... both. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so you can cover all bases then? Yeah, 100%. We've got, so tech-wise, I mean, we're nearly there. Um, there's a few more toys that I want to get, um, okay. as we all probably do. Um, yeah. But we've got, we've just upgraded over flight scope. Um, okay. We've got KVEST, uh, yeah. we've got Sam Putt Lab, we've obviously got video, we've got GASP and video. Um, that's all based in the studio. Yeah. And then, obviously, we've got a playground outside, I guess. Yes, no, absolutely. Um, and what other training aids do you tend to use? Do you, do you have, like, a, do you have a selection or are you a bit like one of, are you a bit like Ian and uh, Martin Hall, which tend to have every single one on the market? Yeah, I mean, Ian must have a great contract with Amazon, right? The <laughs> <laughs> parcel force. I think Amazon have got a great contract with Ian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, 
So, yeah, no, I I don't probably have as many as, as Ian. Yeah. Um, I definitely have a few branded things. I have, you know, Phil Kenyon's putting, laser, yeah. putting lasers and the gates and things like that. Um, but a lot of my stuff is quite, it sounds weird, but quite gym-based. Yes. Um, so I have a lot of TheraBands. I have a lot of um, uh, speed sticks we have, medicine balls, um, face tape, sticks, foam rollers. Um, uh, there's the big foam, I'd call them Zorgs from swimming, but yeah. the big foam things. Um yeah, that's the kind of stuff we have. And how did you kind of evolve with the fitness kind of TheraBand stuff then? Is that through a certification or extended education that you've done? What's, what's... Yeah, I mean, my, my probably education coaching story from the moment I qualified from the PGA is probably very, very different to what I was expecting it to be. Okay. Um, yeah, so I so when I qualified, I remember, I remember just before I qualified, I went, I got... Went on a CPD course with Ramsey McMaster. Yeah. Um, and Ramsey kind of um, always, always interested in school. When I reflect back on it, I was always interested in school and the body, the human body and how the body moved and what the body did and how to train the body. I was always interested in it. Yeah. Um, didn't really make that connection into golf until saw Ramsey's, um, went to his one day workshop down in London. Yeah. Um, and that kind of probably set, set me on a trend of, of searching out body movement and body function and how the body moves to make golf swings and what we can and can't do and so on and so forth. Um, from there, did a personal training qualification, so fully qualified personal trainer, um, uh, fitness instructor, went down golf athlete, so spent some time with Michael Dalgleish and yeah. Neil. Yeah. Um, Went down the, uh, did some online work with the NAS, NASM uh, with their golf fitness program. Mm -hmm. um, and then did TPI, um, still doing TPI, should I say. Yeah. Um, and it just fascinates me the way the body moves. And I, I kind of got to the position where I am now, where I compartmentalize the different types of coaching we do. Yes. Um, whether it's a, a, a swing technical movement lesson um, so understanding what the club's doing from track man but then understanding what the body's doing using k-vest and, and screening and so on and so forth um whether it's an on-course session um, so we're looking at how the awareness of the player what they think they need to achieve versus what they can actually achieve we talk, talk a lot about um ego and skill set um so can the player wants to hit that high cut over that tree to that back right flag, yeah. but they, they haven't hit one in their life. So why on this sixth hole have we decided that that's the shot for them? Yes. Um, so talk a lot about managing themselves on the golf course. Yeah. Um, and then some, I don't really use skills testing. Um, uh, main reason is I did a lot of, I then went after this process, I went to, uh, did the PG dip, yeah. questioned, questioned my coaching a lot. Um, the way I was doing it, um, was it good enough? How could I get better? So and so forth. Um, I mean, that was definitely a theme. That was definitely a theme that's run through, I think, every single person that's been on that course, you know, me included, that that really opened our eyes to whether or not what we were doing was what we thought we were doing. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it, 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 it's exceptional, exceptional. So sorry to butt in, but they'll carry no, on. So. No. I think I think for me, um, Duncan, I think it it probably has put me in the last three years in the wilderness. Okay, I'm brutally honest. 
um, made me question a lot of my coaching practice. Yeah. Um, probably made me question a lot of me personally. Okay. Um, do I want to do this? Am okay. I good enough to do this? Yeah. Um, um, am I actually affecting people? Yes. Um, and so on and so forth. And probably spent three years with a real um, struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, did the first two years of PG Dip, then um, did the final year MSc dissertation. Okay. And my MSc was completely not where I thought it was going to go. Um, it was on workplace development of coaches. So what I'm fascinated in and st- still am fascinated in, it's something I w- definitely want to explore more in my career, is why coaches coach the way they coach. So this podcast is quite apt. Yeah. Um, and so spent um, a year interviewing coaches um, in different working environments um, and how the working environments of different coaches, whether it be a driving range or a private members club or a council owned course, um, affected their coaching practice. Um, and it's fascinating. I find it, uh, I found it incredible. And I've kind of come out the back of that, graduated in December, um, come out the back of that and then spent sort of six months um, just really kind of taking a step back from everything mm-hmm. um, and deciding now, where do I want to take my coaching? What am I good at? What do I need? Um, what have I got now that, you know, I can add in and, and kind of that's where I am, I guess. Yeah. So do you, do you see everything through a bit more of a sceptical lens now, would you say? Um, yeah, critical, yeah. Yes. Um, and I don't think that's always a good thing. Yeah. I think sometimes you, if, if you're crit- – what I found, especially for the first two threes, I was critiquing everything and not committing to anything. Okay. Um, sort of not hanging my hat on that theory or that theory. I was kind of like, oh, well, that's okay, but I can see your side as well. And that's great, but at some point you've got to take action. Yes. Um, and you've got to go one way. You've got to make it – you know, you've got to make a route and you've got to travel down that route. Mm-hmm. Um so I think, yeah, I definitely look at things more critically, but at the same time, I think I'm much more in saying, well, okay, it might not be all things to all people, but I believe in this. I can see the value in this. Let's go down this road. Yeah. Um, that's probably where I am now. That's great. No, I mean, that, that's one of the, you know, I've heard lots of different 80 20 rules. Yeah. <laughs> as we all have walking off the yeah. golf course or in different situations. And I think, you know, if we, if, you know the reason one of the reasons i got you on the podcast alan is because i know how much you care and i know how yeah. much you've you've looked into improving yourself as a as a person as well as a coach and how much you want to impact those people that take lessons from you and those people that work with you mm. um and i think if we're if if we're doing that then and if we can look after 80 percent of the people that we're in with their games or in other areas of, of business or life, then I think we're doing a really, really good job. And like you said, we can't be all people to all, to all men. So that unfortunately there is going to be some, there I call it money left on the table or another analogy for that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely get where you're coming from. I, I did, did the same thing and uh, you do, we just try and be better every day and try and get as good as we can with, with what we've got. And that's all, as far as I'm concerned, that's all we can do. And if yeah. you're getting people better and they're coming back for more and they're recommending you, then obviously you're doing a good job. 
Yeah, and I think that I think that's that's where I've kind of after three, like I say, three years in the wilderness. I think um, that's probably what I've come to the conclusion of is we, like you say, you can't be, and I don't think I want to be all things to all people. I think that's yeah. the point is it's picking two avenues that I'm committed to. Yeah, and then let's go all in on those. Um, know your strengths. I, I I was really lucky to have um, talk to Mark Griffiths as my supervisor for my MSc and just as a great sounding board, you know, when it comes to education and training, just, just a really, really good guy to kind of chat to, which was, which was really helpful really. So. Brilliant. That's, now I'm going to then try and flip this a little bit on its head then. So we're going to say you've turned up for work and uh, the driving range isn't there. The, the studio's not there. And um, a member of the board has turned up and said, Alan, there's a hundred pounds. Go and do with it what you can. Um, what would your advice be uh, for first of all your students? How could they spend the hundred pounds? But yeah. how would you spend your hundred pounds on on helping golfers? Uh, okay, so from a from a student's perspective, um, I think the, the the things that they should be really looking at is probably investing in a few small tools that they can do really, really well rather than lots of little bits and pieces. Yep. I would definitely ask them to do a lot more recording yep. um, rather than changing. So um, I think there's an element of what we're into as golf coaches as, and all coaches are, and definitely business people are, is pattern recognition. Yep. So what am I seeing? Is it is it the norm or is it an anomaly? Let's see it. Um, so I think I would give them two or three big notepads yeah. and tell them to record their practice sessions and tell them to record their rounds. Um, what level of detail we would go into could vary yeah. depending on what the weaknesses are. Um, I think for me to get a player to improve, that is probably all I would give to a student to start with. Yeah, Because I think anything else other than that, we could go in and say, well, I want them to have tour sticks and alignment sticks and so on and so forth. Yeah. The problem is we don't know what the problem is. Yeah. Um, so I think my number one goal, if I had any sort of pennies, would be here's some notepads. I want you to record practice this way. I want you to record coaching this way over an eight-week period. Mm. Once you come back, I'll spend the other £99. Okay. Um, and that might be on drill sticks. It might be on an app to um, record stats. That might be on some bands. It, might, it could be on a little bits and pieces that I would use cones maybe to help them practice better. Yeah. Um, but I think I would definitely have the notepad first and some get them to do some work first. Like you said, so, you want to gather, you want to gather some evidence of, and then be okay. able to see yourself and, and to show them what patterns they, they have. I think uh, the key is I want them to see, I'll, yeah, I think Duncan, I think I want them to see the pattern. You know, people yeah, people aren't stupid. So once they record yeah. enough data, you kind of put yeah. it in front of them and go, can you see anything? <laughs> yeah. um, um, I think golfers are blindly uh, led by the last shot of the last round mm-hmm. um, or, the, or the last week of golf, you know. So I think I would definitely have them record a lot. I do a lot of pattern recording, if you like. That, that's yeah. for the golfer, definitely. And for yourself? Um. For myself, I would probably have uh, to coach with, you mean? Yeah. To coach with. So, again, notepad. Yeah. 100%. Um, I would probably want some spray, 
some sort of face spray if we were going to look at some sort of technical um, info. Um, tin of paint, probably. All, all I had was grass. Yeah. Um, um, and then from there, yeah, notepads. I'd have notepads galore. Yeah. Um, but I would probably have a lot of drill sticks and foam dongles or whatever they're called. Yeah. Um, and some probably I would probably have a load of T-pegs as well. Good. I think that would be it. I probably spent about 40 quid there in total. Yeah, and that's very common. I may I may have to reduce the amount that I can give the coach. Yeah, you're too generous. But at the moment, at the moment, we're all going out for dinner on the on the yeah exactly hundred quid. So <laughs> it's uh it, it's very common what's what's coming through, and I I really like the similarities, and you can you know people can listen to the other podcasts and draw out the similarities between all of all of the coaches that I've had on so far, and you know people need face spray. Pads, pencils, tea pegs, cones, um, yeah. noodles, and they're not spending a great deal of money. Most people have got phones, so we're not going to charge them for the phone, so they can get an app for less than the tennis to, to record swings. And again, they might be speaking to you to say, "How do I record my swing properly?" Um, so a, a few people have mentioned getting a tripod, so it's fixed at the right height in the right place, so we can get good practice. Um, going so there's good interaction and communication between player and coach so again very similar to, to a lot of the other guys have said Alan which is great so yeah. and a um, putting a drone up is that correct so that you could actually see the decision making and strategy yeah, I mean, around the golf course yeah so I think it would be just a really interesting um, uh, thing to do you know to watch a, a player from above without them really knowing you're there if you like and, yeah. uh, and then doing a match analysis like a, a football team would do it um, or an NFL team. You know, they don't necessarily dive into individual techniques of players, um, but they definitely would have an overview of how the match and the game panned out. So I think it'd just be a really interesting thing to do if you could find someone with the skills to do it. But also, if you actually took some, uh, like a leading player, let's say from the European Tour or PJ Tour or LPGA or whatever it is. Yeah. If you could actually do that with them as well, so we yeah. can see how they played around the golf course, how their strategy was, and bits and pieces, then you could actually start to see maybe where where things go wrong for certain players and where you can improve other areas. I like hundred percent. Again, it comes back to recognizing the patterns, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so just be an interesting thing, anyway. Off topic there, I know, but no, no, no. I like that. No, I like that. Um, do you have a favourite golf course? Um, two, I, I would say. Um, one is the uh, standard one, I guess, is St Andrews. Yeah. Um, got, got to play at 16. And uh, I remember my, my my granddad was a very, very proud Scotsman. And uh, I remember um, on the first tee, we were playing St Andrews Boys Open. Okay. Um, yeah. And they, they said, uh, Master A. Fletcher. And it was obviously my granddad's initials were A. Fletcher as well. Uh, and uh, he was, I've never seen a man be so proud. So was, <laughs> that's probably one of my favourite places. Um, and then Woburn, local to us. Yes. Um, get to play it quite a few times. Obviously, three great tracks. So yeah. a bit boring, but but definitely a place I like to go. No, not boring at all. Do you have a, do you kind of have a favourite book or a little a mini book list you could help either kind of players and coaches with? Um, oh, oh, what are you reading at the moment? 
Um, I'm really not a golf book. Um, okay. I'm I'm reading uh, coaches. It might help with definitely. Um, it's called 113 million ways to market. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it is definitely a good coaches book to read if you want to make uh, learn how to improve your business. Yeah. Um, definitely a good book. Um, I'm reading. Again, I, I don't get to read a lot. Of, I don't really read a lot of golf instruction books. Yeah. Um, I read some coaching books, um, coaching performance books. Um, I'm reading a, um, a book around training to build testosterone at the moment. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so my, it, it varies. Um, so it's not very helpful there, don't know, but I, I definitely recommend the, uh, I, I guess, one of the books I would say is is and I've read it twice now um, is Simon Sinek's latest book, yeah. um, How to Find My Why. Okay. Um, and I think for coaches out there um, who are struggling, maybe in the industry or struggling to understand where they want to go next, um, it's a really really good book to help you do that. Fantastic. And do you um, do you listen to podcasts? So you apart from this one, obviously. Yeah, obviously, top of my list. Um, <laughs> Um, um, yeah, massive. Um, uh, I can't even think of the name of it now. Um, I, I listen to Gary V's podcast a lot. Yeah. Um, I listen to, um, Stuart Armstrong's podcast. Yes. I think of the name of it, um, around skill acquisition. Um, but those two are probably my 30 minute journey to work podcasts, I would say. Yeah. No, very uh, good. I actually thought you were going to say Ben Greenfield. No. Okay, because no. I had a I listened to one of his podcasts not so long ago, and it was all about testosterone building and things like that, and I got very lost. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think that's why I've gone back to the business book because I've just kind of put it down for a minute because I've kind of my head spinning with these yeah. random chemicals. I don't know what they are. So yeah, same uh, with me there, mate. Same with me. <laughs> I'll have another go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, give us a golfing prediction for the year. Tiger to win. Okay. Tiger Mate. to win an uh, Tiger to win an event, a major. Okay. I don't know, um, but Tiger probably. Yeah, I mean, he, he looks good, swings good, um, yeah. has competed. You know, he's been up there a few times, and you know, 1997. I was 13 years old. He's the guy I grew up watching. So um, yeah, I'd love to see him win again, personally. Fantastic. Yeah, that'd be great for golf. So. Mm. Uh, as your guest of the day, you get to ask question of the day. So, your question of the day, please. Okay. Um, can I have two? One for coaches, one for players? Yes. Okay. Uh, so, I will go with, um, for the player, how does the um, facility or the environment that you have your lessons in affect your coaching experience and your a coaching experience. So, um, and for the coaches, um, how does the facility or environment affect your coaching delivery? That's excellent. I really like that. We'll go with those two. So for the players, how does the facility affect your experience of coaching? And for the coaches, how does your facility affect your coaching delivery? Coaching delivery. Very good. Alan, um, have you got any handles on uh, social media? Where can people find you? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of the... All yeah, the so I'm on. I'm on. Um, we're on 
Instagram and Twitter are probably the best too. So uh, Fletch Golf and Fitness on Instagram and a Fletch underscore coaching on Twitter. So um, yeah, we'd love to connect with some coaches and, and players and just chat, chat golf, chat business, chat movement, chat fitness, chat a lot. It'd be great. Excellent. And uh, the facility you're, you're at, so the, the club you're at is, is where and what's its website? So Girton, Girton Golf Club in uh, Cambridge. Um, the best website would be afgolfacademy.co.uk. Um, again, live chat on there. So just go on there and we can, uh, we can connect. Brilliant. Alan, thanks ever so much for coming on the podcast. I've, I've got a lot out of this. Again, it's going to send me off to be a little bit reflective and critical of, of my coaching practice. I'm just going to go back into World of Golf, which you know very, very well, and just go down and have a little look at the performance centre we've got down there and see how that affects my uh, my delivery of, of coaching. Um, so that would be good, and we'll chat about that, I'm sure, at some point on uh, Twitter or Instagram. Good man. Duncan, thanks for having me on, mate. It's a, it's a great show, so uh, keep up the good work. Thanks very much, Alan. Take care. No worries. Bye.